If you have your Bibles, and Bryce doesn't have his, I'm teasing. Take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews 11, or 5, Hebrews 5. Lee texted me this morning. She says um, she's not in town. She's down helping a friend of hers in North Carolina. And she says, I'll be praying for you today. I said, thanks. I said, I, I'm still working on it. Um, I struggled with this. Uh, and so my prayer is, God help these. Because I think this is kind of, uh, I don't know what analogy or word picture to give you, but kind of taking several swings at the same thing and hopefully we'll cross home plate. Somehow that analogy is a terrible baseball analogy, but that's kind of what we're doing. So we don't want to swing and miss, we want to swing and hit, but uh, maybe it'll take three or four hits to get home. So that's a good analogy maybe. Would you pray with me? I, I would like to do that. God, your word to us today, um, God will, I pray, just move us steps closer step closer, God, steps closer in our, in our maturity, in our growth, in who you are in us, God. And if we are here and we don't know you, that, God, there would be a revelation of your Holy Spirit today to hearts that, that need to make that find, God, in you. And so we commit this time to you, God. We commit this word to you. I pray for, as uh, Shirley prayed, God, just connections and thoughts, your thoughts, your word, God, to your hearts in, our, in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, you know anyone, and I'm scared starting this thing. We'll just, we'll, as, as Jeremiah would say, we'll get started and then we'll land the plane. Uh, and we're trusting God. You know anyone, or at least you've met someone uh, whose default mode seems to always be viewing life through a negative lens? It's the, it's the glass half empty people. Um, I mean, they could find the winning lottery ticket in the parking lot. <laughs> they didn't have to spend a dime for and think, now what am I going to do? How, how am I going to spend all this money? You know, I, and they don't like the way that makes them feel. I'm like, really? Uh, not to sound like that person, but allow me. In light of what we've been studying on Sunday evenings, that being the end times of scenario and Christ teaching about what it's going to be like when he does, in fact, return, and how amazing all that's going to be. I mean, absolutely beyond any Hollywood rendition of Lord of the Rings or anything or any space trilogy or whatever you could imagine. It's going to be absolutely amazing. And I could start sharing things with you that are going to be parts of that. One being, next time you read Matthew's account, oh, this is not in the notes. Next time you read Matthew's account in 24, look down through where Jesus is teaching his disciples and he keeps saying, when you see, when you see, and when you see these, and when you, and he's talking to them very first person. And then he gets down to the point where he says, and then you will see the sign of the Son of Man in the clouds and he will send out forth his angels and they'll gather his elect from the four winds of the earth. He says, and he doesn't say you anymore. He says, and they will see the sign of the Son of Man. 
And I just pondered that for a few minutes. I'm like, what? What happened to the you part? What happened to me seeing that? And it occurred to me, if you know your 1 Corinthians very well, 15, what does Paul, how quickly does Paul say we are going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye? I don't think we're going to see him in the clouds until we're with him in the clouds because we're going to be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. I don't think it's going to be like, oh, there's Jesus. Because <laughs> he doesn't say you will see the sign of the Son of Man. He says that they still on the earth will see the sign of the Son of Man. Just kind of. God's word, you understand it is absolutely so perfect to, to these minute little details that sometimes we just like don't even get that. So these are some of the, that's just, can you imagine? And the word that Paul uses for air, forgive me for not knowing it right now, refers to about 10,000 feet. I'm like, I'm scared of heights, man. I'm like, you ever fly and just, you ever fly and daydream about what it would be like if you had to be falling out of the plane? You ever, anybody ever, no, Steve? Boy, I do. And I'm thinking, I wonder if you could pack a parachute on a plane. I wonder if it'd let you do that. No, no. But I don't like, wow. But we're not going, our eyes are going to be on Jesus. And it's going to be the most absolutely crazy, amazing, wonderful thing. Yet on the negative edge. And this is solely my opinion. Western Christians, and I'm going to identify, and I'm going to kind of separate us out. Western Christians, primarily American Christians, do not demonstrate the spiritual maturity that those in other parts of the world do, as a, generally speaking. And what that can lead to, I say can, may, I'd really like to say will lead to, is a higher number of what I would call professing believers dropping off into spiritual obscurity as we draw nearer to the time of Christ's return and the end of the age. Because he tells us that difficult days are in our future. If he, in fact, these things transpire in our lifetime, we need to be prepared for that. Every generation really is needed to be prepared for that. To walk in a right relationship with God. What we're going to be talking about today is, is maturity in Christ. What does it look like to be mature? How can we become mature? So these difficult days lie ahead for the people of God. And I would just go so far as to say that fence riders and the immature of faith will be many of those who succumb to the pressures that will be presented upon us in our faith. And we're already seeing nuances of this in the culture in which we live, where good is called evil and evil is called good. Moral, what we consider to be good morals, aren't really good morals anymore. They're hate, they're ugly, and they're not liked. Those days are going to increase. So I want this morning to talk for a bit about maturity. Spiritual maturity in the life of the believer. And wherever you fit into this, you take it home and allow God to just work it into your life. 1 Corinthians 13, 11. And I don't think Chris has all these notes because there were so many and he just said, I can't get them all in. I said, Chris, don't even worry about it. Get what you can and it's fine. 1 Corinthians 13, 11 says, when I was a child, Paul speaking, I used to speak like a child, 
think like a child, that means to have opinions like a child, and then reason like a child, or calculate, think through logically like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. So let me ask ask you this question. From what perspective do young children and old children and old, old children I'm getting to my, I'm getting to me now. I'm a 59-year-old kid. And I hope that never changes. From what perspective do young people, and I'm going to say immature children, speak, think, and reason with rare exceptions? Class? Self. The old maxim, my own good, my own way, maximum pleasure, minimal pain. That is the mindset of children. What's this going to do to me? What, 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 what can I get out of this? And Paul says that I used to think like a child. I used to reason like a child. I used to speak like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. When I became mature, Hebrews chapter 5, if you're there, beginning in verse 11, says concerning him, and this is in the writer of Hebrews talking about Melchizedek, the high priest, and the correlation between Melchizedek and Christ. And we're not going to look at those Really? So concerning him, the writer of Hebrews is saying, we have much to say. There's a lot of things we want to say about this relationship between Melchizedek and Jesus, and it is hard to explain, the writer says, since you have become dull of hearing. For, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you've come to need milk and not solid food. This is not a buildup. This is a statement of how things are and not a good way. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. And here's where we're going to start taking swings at this. If you're a note taker, and we'll get as far as we can on the board, on the wall, and that's okay. The first thing we want to look at is diminished hearing. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on some of these. Diminished hearing. And I want us to think about, just run these, past, run these through the grid of your own life. Measure your life. Look at your life. Examine your own heart up against the things that we're reading here in Hebrews 5 this morning as we work through this. Diminished has my, It says, since you have become dull of hearing. This is not just something that happens overnight. It's a gradual thing that we, we grow down into is this dullness of hearing, not being able to hear. So I ask myself, what are the ramifications? What does Scripture tell us here? What can we glean out of this passage that are the ramifications of diminished hearing? If I can't hear as well, what's the big deal? Word tells us in verse 11 that our understanding is going to be darkened. It's going to be dulled. He says, we have so much to say and it is, he says, hard to explain since, because of. Here's the the why. Because you become dull of hearing. You can't comprehend. You can't understand the things we need to talk about because you're not attuned to spiritual things. You can't even understand this. Verse 12 tells us that maturity is going to be stifled. There's going to be kind of a, 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 a seizing of growth, a stoppage of growth, and not even a stoppage of growth, but a, to diminish, to go down in our maturity. 
Verse 11 says, we have much to say. It is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time, maturity stifled, by this time you ought to be teachers. You should have progressed on to the point where you can instruct other people. It doesn't mean standing in front of a classroom. It means having a conversation with someone over a cup of coffee and explaining spiritual things to them and righteousness, words of righteousness. But he says, you're not, and you can't because of diminished hearing. Maturity stifled. Thirdly, he says, the basics are going to have to be revisited. For though by this time you ought to be teachers of the elementary oracles, you have to go back and be retaught the elementary oracles of God. So, diminished hearing. Is that me? I want to tell you. It's going to be all of us at times. It just is. And so I asked myself, what are some of the things? And so I thought, you know, what, what's ca- what causes me to really not hear God? To not be attuned to what it is He wants to, to say and do? And lately, lately, I have sensed that in my life. And I'm like, God. And yet at the same time, I'm, it's just such a, it's almost oxymoronic, this love for Christ and this passion for Christ and yet this also this kind of distant kind of thing going on over here and I'm, I'm kind of struggling. I don't even have an answer for you. But I'm struggling. I have to ask myself, God, are there things in my life? What what's, would be something in my life causing this, this whatever this is over here where I just sense that there's something there? I need to ask myself tough questions. Is it some of these things possibly that we're about to look at that are that are causes of diminished hearing in our lives. And I'll call the first one a Martha problem because this is from a message from some time back and you'll probably recall some of these things, but they fit. In Luke chapter 10, verses 40 and 41, but Martha, Jesus is speaking, but Martha was distracted. He's about to speak, but Martha was distracted with all her preparations. You remember the story, Mary, Martha? Jesus comes over for a meal and Martha's like scrambling. Get this meal on the table. She's running all over the place. And Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet, and Martha's like irritated, upset. And we talked, yeah. She was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. What a conversation to have to God. (laughs) You know this. Just tell her to to help me. Like command Jesus to do something. But the Lord answered and said, Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered about so many things. What do we glean out of that? One, distractions. Diminished hearing comes about as a result of of just being distracted. There's so much going on around us in life. It's It's difficult to juggle it all. You've got family to take care of, children to take care of, work to take care of, your body to take. You've got so many things going on. It's so easy to become distracted and to allow those things to rise above the priority that we need to have placed on our relationship with Jesus. We're making certain that that piece of us, because, you know, there's a lot of things going on, pops in my mind that, you know, Paul said bodily, taking care of your body or bodily, whatever is really not near as important, obviously, as is of little value compared to spiritual knowledge and growth. Distractions, discontentment, Martha was very discontent. And we ask ourselves, am I okay with discontentment? 
Am I okay with being content with discontentment? Am I content with discontentment? That sounds funny, but it's what we are so often. Thirdly, things that would cause a diminished hearing are worries. This word for worry here, worries of life, means to be anxious ahead of time. Before it's even happened. We start scenarioing in our minds. It's not even a word, but I use it. Making scenarios in our minds of what could happen. Anybody ever do that here? I do it all the time. You know, what if, what if, what if? And you can kill yourself. You can drive yourself crazy thinking about what ifs. And that's what this is talking about. It's, it's worrying about creating things to worry about ahead of time. And Jesus told us, didn't he, at one point, he said, just take a, let, today's troubles will take care of themselves. Tomorrow's troubles will take care of themselves. Stay right here. And then last, and then to Martha's account, she was, he says, you're, you're worried and bothered. Bothered is a word for where we get our word turbulence from. Like, it means, it's talking about being interrupted by masses of people or just being interrupted. And I thought about my neighbor. He used to come over when I was building a house and he would come over every day, every sunny day, every hot day with a glass of tea, Mr. Krogel. What a nice thing to do. And I've shared this before. Some of you know this. Mr. Krogel loved to talk. Like most, a lot of elderly people love to talk. I have a street full of elderly people that love to talk. And I have not been talking to them. It's totally, I'm switching gears here. And God's been after me about that. I mean, I, this is not a mean thing. I live in like a geriatric neighborhood. And guys in walkers sitting in their driveways, you know. They can't go hardly anywhere. As I drive out, going to do my thing all in and out all day long. And I thought, you know, I stopped and talked to them once when I first moved there two years ago. Anyway, I got to go back and do that. So Mr. Krogel comes and really do that. And I would have to come down off the rafters down to get my glass of tea and talk to Mr. Krogel about Nothing really big and important in my life. And it dawned on me when God kind of started talking to me one day because I was really annoyed at one point, finally, because I got a house I need to build here. And God just showed me in his word. He said, this is the day that the Lord has made. And I started thinking to myself, if this is truly, and I really believe this is the day that God has made for me to live in, then can there be any interruptions in his day, for me? No. And it helped me in that moment. Let's add on to this list of potential. We're moving away from Martha here. Distraction, discontentment, worries of life, being interrupted, having my, thinking my days are being interrupted and causing me to, again, it's just a form of distraction, I would say. In Acts 7, 51 to 53, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shove a three-point message into this one. It says, you men are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. 
you are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, Jesus. And you have now become betrayers and murderers of him. You who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. Three things that, that just make a perfect message that I think fit into this idea of what's causing our hearing to be diminished. And the first one is pride. Just flat out, old fashioned, ugly pride. When I start thinking about that maxim of my, me, myself, and I, maximum pleasure, you know, my own way, my own, my own good, my own way, maximum pleasure, minimal pain, it's so easy to live in that. It's so easy. That's like default mode into the flesh. And it's pride. The root is pride. It's about me. Stiff-necked, he called them. Pride will diminish our hearing. God says he gives grace to whom? The humble. What's he going to do with the proud? And this is not, this is talking to believers. He says he's going to, it's a military term. He's going to resist the proud. I want God, I want God's grace all over me. Pride. Second, or this would be, what, five, four, five, six. It's a little different. And I hesitated to use this, but I'll throw it out there in case we need to hear it. Not only are there the proud, but there are the pretenders. Diminished hearing through pretending. Can I call that hypocrisy? Uncircumcised in heart, disobedient. Could it be that you have never responded to God's invitation? You hear this thing. You've never responded to God's invitation to repent of sin and place your faith in solely in the person of Jesus Christ as the Savior and Lord of your life. To ask him to change me. God, will you change me? Will you come and live in me? Forgive me of my sin and change me from the inside out because I can't do this anymore. You've just been pretending, even in ignorance. Matthew Henry, what a great quote. Fair pretenses, this on the wall? Didn't make it, Chris? That's okay. Listen closely. Fair pretenses and a plausible profession may deceive men but God cannot be so deceived. He sees through shows to realities. Fair pretenses and a plausible profession may deceive men, but God cannot be so deceived. He sees through shows to realities. It's good. Pretender. And then lastly would be the protester. Diminished hearing as a result of protesting. Ears are always resisting, he says, the Holy Spirit. You who have received and yet did not keep it. Protesting against God's will obviously will diminish our hearing from him. And as a protester, this is not, this is, almost doesn't fit because it's really not spiritual deafness or even selective hearing. One cannot resist what they have heard or understood. One cannot resist what they have heard and understood. See, this is hearing. This is understanding, recognizing what God the Holy Spirit would have us do in choosing to take a stand and protest against it. And just saying, I'm not going to do that. It's really just really another word for disobedience. The Holy Spirit can be silenced. He can be quenched, the word tells us. So not only has our hearing been diminished, and we're just really teaching straight through this, but we only have, secondly, an infant's appetite. 
Verse 12 of Hebrews 5 says, And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. We spend our lives so true, so often, so sadly. So many Christians spend their lives waiting around in the kiddie pool of spiritual water. For the same reasons that we just looked at for diminishing hearing. And we won't go over those again. Thirdly, and moving on, is a simple point with an exclamation point. It's time we grow up. It's time we grow up. That we not be satisfied with staying even where we are. And we may be in a strong place. Or you may be in a wilderness. Or you may be emotionally just kind of disconnected from what God wants to do. Feeling-wise, you don't feel anything. Been there. That's not a bad place. We talked about pain this morning. C.S. Lewis made the statement once that pain is God's megaphone. That's when he speaks best to us, is when we are in pain. He uses that in our lives. It's time we, we grow and go, the stakes are too high. The risks are too great not to. We need to be solid. I'm sure every generation has said this, but I'll say it with all that's going on in our world. Can I just say the old, like never before, we need to be mature in our faith. Hebrews 5, 13 and 14, for everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. You can underline word of righteousness because it really defines what solid food is supposed to look like. For he's an infant. But solid food, words of righteousness, if you will, is for, solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Here's where we're taking another swing. Solid food, words of righteousness. It is time to begin for us. We've, if you're not a person of the word, change that. Just change that. And I'll be very blunt with you. It doesn't matter how you feel about it. This will change you. I can't tell you the number of times. That, and be honest with God. Don't come thinking or trying to act like you're pious and righteous and everything when you just don't think it, feel it, or look it or whatever. I never look it, but I don't know why I said that. I'll come to God sometimes and just say, God, I really don't feel like being here. I don't feel like doing this. And I'm not trying to believe me. I haven't always done that. Trust me. There's times I've let time go by in my life in Christ where I would lay this thing down for long times, of long, long times, months and years of time. And I could also tell you some bad stories during those times because <laughs> I wasn't really hearing God and hearing from him. So it doesn't matter how I feel about it. Be honest with God and tell him that. I'm telling you, from the moments, in those moments when I have told God how frankly honest, I, you know, blunt, it opens the door of, of his presence in a way because God deals in honesty. And when we're honest with him, it's very healing. It can be a very healing thing. It's a step of faith. It's living with the willingness to have God divinely, this idea of, of, of taking solid food, these words of righteousness, begin digging into his word that deals with how to live right before God, which is really another simple definition of righteousness. And it is a step of faith. 
It is living with the willingness to have God divinely intervene in my life in order to bring me where he desires me to be. It's taking this thing off of me and saying, God, I want it to be with you. I want it to be about you. I want what you want. To a place of spiritual maturity. God, you take me there. Lee pointed out to me, and we were having a conversation over this passage. She said that, isn't it wonderful that God knows? He's talking about, this is like a negative thing going back. You need milk again because you really can't do the solid food program. And Lee said, isn't it wonderful that God knows our, what we need? He knows our need of and is willing to give us milk again to bring us back to a place of maturity. Yeah, I thought that is good. So I share it with you. You may have to go back and drink milk again. And God's okay with that. And he'll bring you along. Secondly, we read about practice. Growing up, it's going to take solid food. It's going to take practice. The Greek word hexis means it's a habit. It's exercise. I, I watch Andy Griffith about every day when I come home to eat lunch. I pop it on and I'm making my lunch or whatever, watching Andy Griffith. I never usually catch a whole show, but you know sometimes I'll stick around when it's a really good, you know, just a good one. Man in a hurry is a good one. And they're out on the front porch and Barney's sitting there and he's all relaxed. They're all they're having just a relaxed time. Andy's got his guitar in his hands and Barney says, yep, that's the plan. He's just, oh, yeah. You, how many of you have seen Man in a Hurry? Yeah, a few of you? Okay. It's a show. I'm not going to tell you the whole show, but all the, in like two seconds, man breaks down coming to, on his way to wherever and he's like, I got to get there. I got to get there. I got to get there. And he's just crazy running around like nuts. He's all angry because he can't get his car fixed and blah, 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 blah. Finally, he just has to have lunch on Sunday afternoon. They're sitting out on the front porch. He's smoking a cigar, pacing back and forth like, God, to get this thing fixed. And Barney and Andy are just kind of like, you know, Mayberry, you know, just Mayberry. Barney's that now you're caught up to speed. Yep, he says, that's the plan. Go home. Take a nap. Go over to Thelma Lou's, watch TV. He says that about five times till the man in a hurry <laughs> says, for the love of Mike, do it, do it, just do it. Go home, take a nap, go over to Thelma Lou's, watch TV, just do it. Just do it, is what I'm telling you. Just do it. For the love of Mike, just do it. No, in all seriousness, for the love of Christ, do it. Because he so desires for you to be mature and me to be mature in our relationship with Christ. And God will not and has not kept it a secret that we are in need of doing in order to grow in maturity and to grow to maturity. Practice is a part of it. Habit, exercise, doing it doing it, spending time in his word, meditating in his word. Your word is a lamp to my feet. How I'm supposed to be living rightly before God and a lamp to my path. If you desire to grow deep, just ask yourself, do I? If you desire to grow deep, he will give you the desires necessary to do so. We just need to do what he says, do it, practice it. And in our doing, our senses, thirdly, he says, our senses will be trained to discern. This is really good because 
Some things happen when we're not eating solid food. But solid food is for the mature who because of practice with solid food have their senses trained to do something extremely important and that is to discern good from evil. Ah, a lot of trouble this day in the church today discerning good from evil, is there not? Absolutely. Is it possible? And I find this again to be a very American, very Western idea, a very Western problem. Our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world are much better at discerning good from evil. And a lot of that is due to the fact that they were living under persecution and are digging deep and are sending down roots in their relationship with Christ because they are believing it and they are doing it. Senses trained to discern, but solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. I'm going to swing into Solomon's life. What time? I'm just asking. I'm not that I'm going to stop early, trust me. But when do you normally get out of here? I understand. <laughs> Phil gets bonus points today. <laughs> Phil, I'll get my wallet out and take care of you later. Huh? Let's let Solomon kind of swing into this a little bit, okay? In 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 7 to 9, you only get me for every now and then, so I'm giving it all to you. It says, Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant. This is just amazing, Solomon's heart. You have made your servant king in place of my father David, yet I'm, I'm, I'm but a little child. He's saying, I'm not mature. I do not know how to go in or come, or to go out or come in. Your servant is in the midst of your people, which you have chosen a great people who are too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. Oh God, would you grow me up? He's saying, would you help me be mature? Would you do what you can do? For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Discerning between good and evil. I, I don't know. This was a thought that I wrote down and I thought, it's really good. And I just shoved it in here. This may be just like a parenthetical statement in the middle of this message, but I'm giving it to you anyway because I put it down here. Good and evil. So when you have been cut, when you've been bruised, when you've been wounded by someone's words or actions, walk past bitterness as it reaches out to comfort you with pats on the back, empathizing with your hurt. Refuse anger's words of advice to say what you've been rehearsing in your mind that you want to say. In fact, rebuke anger's words from the start that are bent on settling the score with someone who has cut, hurt, wounded you. Before, before you even rehearse them, rebuke them. Don't rehearse. Put feet, hands, words of grace. This is this discerning between good and evil. And it's the mature that are going to respond in this way. Put feet, hands, words of grace and a forgiving spirit into motion. Rebuke revenge's attempt to lay out a plan for you to get back or get even with the offender. Is that what, not what Christ did when he died on the cross and said, forgive them, Father, for they, they don't know what they're doing. Solomon demonstrates for us is this, this whole thing with maturity. He recognizes, I can't do this. I'm like a kid. Give me an understanding heart. 
What do, I see, what do we see in Solomon? These are more attributes that are going to help us mature. Humility. Humility. Yet I'm but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Solomon recognized, the, secondly, the, the greatness of the task. The immensity of what it is that God is really calling us to do. Your servant is in the midst of your people which you have chosen. They're too great to be counted or numbered. Our task as the people of God, listen to this one, is to bring honor and glory to God in everything we do. Right? Are there pieces of our life, are there segments of our life that God says, you know, I really don't care what you do with that one. Go for it. No. In all things you you whatsoever you do, do so to the the glory of God. Nothing's left out of that. Our relationships inside and outside the body of Christ, our work, our finances, entertainment, eating, thinking, social media, to the glory of God. To honor Him above all things. Do I think for one nanosecond that I'm capable of living that out in my own strength alone? Zero chance. It is not going to happen. The task is too immense for me to be a a mature and rise above all those things in my own strength. Solomon, third, acknowledged God as the giver, as the supplier. 1 Kings 3, 7, Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in my father's place, David. So give your servant, verse 9 says. We'll just... We know that. I'm not going to say any more. God's the one who gives us the ability and sustains us and protects us and provides for us and leads us and guides us. Fourthly, Solomon had, a, had God-sized desires. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? I'm going to bring Solomon still into this as he writes to us in Proverbs now. Three, five, and six, where we've probably memorized this one. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he will direct your paths or he will make your paths straight. What does that look like to live it out? What what does living that out look like? In the midst of our considering whether or not to move forward in our maturing, saying, God, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. First, I'm just throwing, like I said, <laughs> you get, I got so many firsts going on, I don't even remember. Trust God. Trust God. I've got to trust God to, to lead me. He's a, he's a loving father. He's a good father. I've got to trust him to, to guide me. With all my heart, simply, it, it just says you mean it. You, you truly mean. I'm, I'm trusting God. Lean not on your own understanding. Stop depending. Start it means to support yourself, to lean. Stop, the lean means that you're supporting yourself. Stop depending, secondly, on your own smarts. I don't want to lean, support my own self on my own understanding simply because I know I can do it. I mean, there's common sense. Sometimes. I know I can do that. I'm looking at Lee and my wife and I, along with Lee and I, along with my sister and brother-in-law, we're potentially going to purchase a house here in town and, and think about flipping it. I walk through it. And I'm like, I can. part of me is like, I can do this. We're not going to do it because I don't want to do it. But I think I can do this. And it'll be months of work. And I don't want to just make a decision. Don't think, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I can do that. It may be simple to do something to make a lot of money. But that 
doesn't always mean it's the right thing to do. It's always what God wants us to do. Remember David at Ziklag? David and all the, his warriors and the women and the wives and the children all lived in Ziklag. It was a city just given to them. They go away on a night raid, David does, and his men, they come back and the women and children are gone. And what would you normally do, guys? What would we do? Strong guys that we are, we'd have to go after them. Mount up. And David says, I got to talk to God first. What? Of course God's going to, he might not have, but David said, God, should I pursue them? Should we pursue them? And the men got mad at him for one, for not leaving some guys back there to protect the wives and the women and children. But that's another part of the story. But God said, yeah, go after them, pursue them. And so they did. And they got their wives and children back. Common sense says, man, yeah, you go. But I think it's a great lesson for us to realize David had a heart for God. And he's like, he was always wanting to talk to God about these things. Should we do this? Should we do this? Should we do this? God's size desires. So we're, trust, we're trusting God. We're depending not on our own smarts. Gideon, oh my goodness. So much and it's so good. I'm going to really give you Gideon in a heartbeat. Gideon was going to take the Midianites. This is a wonderful account. And God says, you got too many people there. You got too many warriors. You're going to think you did it, not me. So he says, okay, all you guys that are just afraid and you want to go home, go home. So like, they started with 22,000, then 12,000 left. They have 10,000 now. God says, that's still too many. You're still going to think you beat these Midianites and not me. So uh, he does the little dog lapping, drink water thing. Now there's down to 300. I know you're saying, what? Just read the story. Read the, I'm going to read some of it for you in a minute anyway. 300. Please listen to this. For God is so gracious and kind. Have you ever known what God was telling you to do, but you're afraid to do it? Straight up. I hope we all have. I hope, you, hope we all have. You know, God knows when you're afraid. This idea of growing in maturity and, and going on this adventure and growing deeper in Christ may scare you some because you may wonder what he's going to ask you to do. Yeah, that's a normal, that is a normal fear because he's going to, you know, he's going to send you to the Siberia, right? You know, he's going to send you to the worst thing you could ever imagine because that's just how God works, right? No, but we think that way. I know I used to. But God knew Gideon was going to be afraid. And for the heart that desires to acknowledge him, that deeply, truly longs for God to be God in their life, he helps us in our fears. He doesn't condemn us for having fears. In fact, listen, end time stuff raises fearful thoughts. We've been seeing these things. God gets that and he helps us. Hebrews 11, the faith chapter, like that faith, they call it the faith hall of fame or something like that, hall of faith or whatever. Anyway, it says in Hebrews eleven thirty two, what more shall I say? He's talked about all these great saints. What more shall I, but time will fail me if I tell of, first one he mentions is Gideon. Gideon was a man of faith. And I'm not going to read the account, but I'm going to just tell you. God says, Gideon, I want you to go down to the camp. He says, but if you're afraid to go down, he says, I want you to go attack. But he says, this is God speaking. But Gideon, if you're afraid to go down, go with Pura, your servant, down to the camp. He sends him down, behind, they're hiding behind the bushes, and they're over here in the Midianites talking, man, Gideon, God's already given us into his hand. We're going to, they're going to destroy us. 
Gideon, God takes Gideon down there to have him overhear this conversation. Gideon goes back and says, they're all ours, guys. We got it. God does that. He helps us with those fears. I just think it's just so amazing that God wasn't like, will you stop being afraid? All right, Gideon, get up and do what I told you to do. Isn't that kind of how you think God might have been? But no. Watch what Gideon, he says, when Gideon heard the account of the dream and its interpretations, he, when he heard what the guy said, because the guy had a dream. God gave that, that, that Midianite soldier a dream. And so he was conveying that dream. I left that part out. When Gideon heard the account of the dream and its interpretation, what does he do? He says he bows down and he worships. Been there, done that. When it's like, God, you're so good. When he's out ahead of us, he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the camp of Midians into our hands. So thirdly, acknowledge, let's talk, learning from Solomon here, acknowledge him in all your ways. What in the world does it mean to acknowledge God? And I, believe it or not, we're done. What does acknowledging God in all your ways look like? To always care about, to always want to know what God thinks. To stop and listen to him as life's stuff comes across your path. That is what acknowledging God in all your ways looks like. When I was a very young fella and contemplating marrying Lee, I got afraid. Because I knew that it was once for all. And that was scary. It wasn't going to be a, if the shoe fits, wear it. But I did not want to marry the wrong person. I did not want to marry the person that God did not want me to marry. And that's, that's a healthy fear of God. I, I wanted only what God wanted. God sent Carolyn Ekman, a godly woman across my path who knew Lee very well. And she sat me down and she said, Mark, get out this piece of paper and I want you to write pros on one side and cons on the other. She said, uh, why should you marry Lee? Now, okay, stop. <laughs> Why shouldn't you marry Lee? Well, can't come up with any. God uses that something so simple as that just to go, all right, good. <laughs> it's good. I love counseling young people who are facing big life decisions. And we're talking about acknowledging God. In all your ways. And I would share with this young person, any young person, any person, I don't care if you're 80 years old, if you deeply desire, who are, who are having fears of life decisions, if you deeply desire in your heart, I mean deeply desire in your heart of hearts, to only want to be and do what God would be pleased to have you do, take a deep breath in the freedom of Christ and rest in Him. That is acknowledging God in all your ways, to have that desire of, God, I don't want to be where you don't want me to be and I, with all your heart. It's a healthy parent. It's an unhealthy parent that would, that would do whatever to a child. The child's just saying, God, Dad, I just want to do, what, what do you want me to do, Dad? That I'm going to jump all over his case and abuse him or hurt him or lock him in his room or ground him or do whatever because he wants to do what I want him. He wants, what? He wants to be obedient? You crazy kid, get out of here. God's all over obedient kids in a great way. He blesses obedience. If you are here, if you and I, excuse me, 
will live and move and have our being wrapped up in exercising these truths. You realize what lies ahead? And he will make your paths straight. Not necessarily easy, not pain-free, but straight. Fourth thing is watch God. When we will get serious with him and desire to grow deeper in him and exercise these things, watch God. Watch God work out your life path. It'll get straight. It may take some time and it will be painful, but he'll get it straight. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us. Thank you, God, for um, your desire, Father. You want to see us grow and mature. And we thank you and we bless you for this in your precious name. Amen.